Good morning. Nice to have everybody with us today. Um, let's just open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and I ask you personally to help me to communicate what you put on my heart to the best of my ability, and that you'll help us to hear and understand what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today I want to talk about the, the title of the sermon very simply is The Most Important Thing. The Most Important Thing is the title. I don't care uh, what your situation is or what your problem is or what is going on that you want to come to God and get direction about. The most important thing is that we need to hear from God. That is the most important thing we could ever do is hear from God. Because once we do, once we hear from God, that's the answer. The problem's changing. The direction is coming. Uh, the solution is there. Or another way of saying, you know, uh, hear, uh, hear from God is to be led. The most important thing you can ever do in life is to be led by the Spirit of God. And particularly what I want to focus on today is being led in areas. Now, we know that the Word of God and the Spirit agree, and we know that the Bible is our answer in general direction for everything. But what I want to talk about today is mainly how to deal with issues that the Bible doesn't specifically address. Uh, personal choices. How do we hear from God to be led, you know, who to marry, what job to take, those kind of things, specific direction in our life that God wants to give us. And so um, in one thing I want to point out that's important to understand, I, we don't have to turn to it. We can leave this scripture up. We're going to come to Proverbs 20 in just a minute, but I'm going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That's completely, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Not holy like sacred, but holy like completely. The God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. Uh, the reason for reading the scripture is to point out the fact that um, you are a three-part being. You are a spirit. You are a spirit being walking around in a body. You're not your body. Your body is your earth suit. Just like a spaceman has a space suit to be in that environment, your spiritual being, in order to be in this earth, has an earth suit. You're looking in the world through these little windows we call eyes. But the real you is a spirit being that never gets old, by the way, even if you're outer, the Bible says the outer man perish, but the inward man is renewed day by day. So understanding the trifold nature of, of you, of your existence, of your being, is gonna help you understand how to be led. Because your spirit, your heart, is where God wants to lead you. Your soul and your body are screaming for a voice to lead you as well. So if you're going to really be led by God, you have to learn to be led by your spirit, by your innermost being. Uh, 
in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, we see that uh, this is the King James Version. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. Um, your spirit, in another place it says, is the lamp of the Lord. Uh, to read this in the New Living Translation, it says, The Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. That's another issue you're going to run into as you're being led by God and try, attempting to be led by God. He's going to deal with your motives. Why do you want to make this decision? For yourself or for God or for others? Your motives are very important. Here's uh, the Amplified version even brings more light on this. The spirit or conscience of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching and examining all the innermost parts of his being. So part of your spirit, that is your conscience, deep in your heart, in your belly, in your spiritual being. That's where you hear from God. And that's where we must get direction in life to the things that the Bible doesn't specifically spell out. Now, the Bible will agree with the things. God's not going to give you specific direction uh, in an area that contradicts his word. So that you can rule out right away. You can always use the word of God, the written word, as, as a general direction. But even more, it can check your specific direction. I heard some nonsensical story about somebody saying, two, two people saying, the Lord led us to divorce our spouses and marry each other because the Lord said we were really right for each other. No, that contradicts the word. So whatever you thought you heard, see this gets into that area of understanding that if you don't differentiate between spirit soul and body your body and your soul and your emotions will scream things to you that you can if you listen to them long enough you'll it'll get in your heart and you'll be convinced you're right those people actually believe they were right no god's putting us together and we're to divorce our spouses well that contradicts the word god's never going to lead you in that way so but to them it really felt like that well how do we get to where we really hear from our spirit because there are so many decisions nowadays and, you know, we can talk about the direction of the world and, and all the um, chaos and all the just craziness, perilous times, the Bible says, that we see in the world. How do we navigate those things? Well, God wants to lead you. Not only does he want to lead you in your spirit, but he wants to have a relationship with us. So as we're fellowshipping with him to have that leading, we're also he's in, we're enjoying the fellowship with him. It's not just about getting an answer. Hey, God, you know what do I do here? Okay, bye. No, he wants us to spend time with him, and he loves us and wants to spend time with us. Uh, and so, God wants us to be led in our spirits by by His light, by His Holy Spirit, and give us direction. I want to look at an example. Um, this one here is uh, Matthew 4, 1 to 11, okay? And this is an example of Jesus being led. So he's our example. He was led. Uh, so it starts with the one that says, then was Jesus. There you go. Yep, you got it. And so um, these are some examples in part two of this. Number one, you know, the most important thing. We need to hear from God and be led by His Spirit. Number two, we're looking at some examples 
of being led. I'm going to give a couple personal ones, but I want to start with Jesus. And so uh, at the beginning of verse uh, 4, it says, Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Sometimes, this is one of the most important things, you know, besides saying that, you know, the most important thing is to hear from God. The other statement I would like people to take away from here that's so important is it, when you go to approach God to hear from Him, it is so important that you be willing to consider anything. Don't go to God with a presupposition of what He's going to tell you. Go to Him, number one, no matter what you say, I'm going to do. Number two, Whatever that is, I'm open. I'll consider anything. Uh, that's one of the most important things that I ever learned in life is that as you approach him, be, be willing to hear whatever he says. Don't let your body tell you um, what, how to be led ahead of time. Don't let your soul, your emotions, your will surrender, all of that. And just be willing to take it face value and hear whatever he tells you. So the Holy Spirit led Jesus himself into a wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, why did Jesus have to do that? Well, he's our substitute. He had to be tempted like we were, yet without sin, because he carried our sin and he carried our temptation. And what gave him the right to do that? He was flawless. He had been tempted every way that we've all given in to all these ways different times but God had the purpose of leading him into the wilderness to um, fulfill all righteousness. And so um, it says, and he was tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, that's Satan. If you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, as written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what was, what, was he, what was the false attempt of leading or the devil's attempt of leading him? His flesh. Like we talked about, your spirit, soul, and body. Sometimes your body tries to lead you. But Jesus had fasted for 40 days. And they say that hunger goes away after a long fast. But when it returns, at that point, starvation is setting in. So the devil will attack you in these areas at your weakest moment. That's what he was doing to Jesus. Um, but he said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, the Spirit of God gave him what to say. And he answered that objection by the word, by the Spirit of God. He said, no, I live by the word of God. Then the devil take him up to the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him if thou be the son of God cast yourself down for it is written he'll give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone now this can be a challenge to a person's uh, identity this is, this is a, a mental even an emotional attack prove oh if you're the son of God prove it and, you know, uh, I've been with the Father. I know. I mean, like he was tempting him, prove who you are. But what did Jesus say? Once again, he was led by the Spirit. He answered temptation perfectly by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. 
and said, It's written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again the devil take him up to an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. See, that was a spiritual temptation. We see spirit, soul, and body. These different temptations. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, get thee hence. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall they shall thy serve. Shall thee serve. And the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. They probably brought food. And here's the thing. When you're led by the Spirit of God, and you follow God all the way through, he's going to bring you to a place of supernatural provision. You see that there? It got to the point where angels came and ministered to him. And, it, you know, if God leads us even in our finances and in uh, our direction in life, once again, where to work, how to work. Um, I know the job I have now. God had to lead me supernaturally because I wasn't willing at first. But then it was very definite what to do. Well, there's supernatural provision there. And uh, it came from God uh, to have the right job, you know, especially with this last year. And so... Um, God will lead us into supernatural provision. I wanted to share a couple of examples of my own. Uh, not trying to say that uh, I'm perfect at this. Nobody is. But I just wanted to share a couple of examples that happened uh, personally with us uh, in my issue with being in the hospital and getting the pacemaker. Um, so... Uh, a few months ago, as, as you all know, I went into the hospital with a with what turned out to be total heart block. Now, this is an electrical block, not a plumbing. It wasn't blocked like, you know, blood not going through. It was blocked electrical rhythm going through the heart. So my heart was only beating at 30 beats a minute. So they took me to um, from the medical center here by ambulance to, is it, uh, is it Greenview? Is that in Bowling Green? Is it? Greenview or Green, Green something, Greenview. Okay, so I'm in Greenview Hospital, and uh, this particular first illustration goes along with being willing to hear anything. Uh, so I'm at Greenview Hospital, and uh, they immediately that night put in a temporary pacemaker. <clears throat> a temporary pacemaker is something that is external, and they put the leads and the wires through your veins, and it's a unit that's external to keep you going until they can schedule the surgery and put the permanent one in, inside of you. <clears throat> so uh, I was there, and uh, they said to me, after they put the temporary one in, they said, so what we're going to do is sometimes this temporary pacemaker being in for a while just actually fixes the problem. And tomorrow what we're going to do is we're going to sort of in a controlled environment, we're going to turn it off. And see what you're, and it may just go back to normal and everything's fine, and we'll do all our tests. We'll take out the temporary pacemaker, and uh, that'll be that. And I thought, Lord, yeah, that's what I want. I'm gonna try, I wanna trust God, believe God. I want it to be like that. So I'm laying there later that night, and I'm saying, Lord, I don't wanna get a pacemaker. Um, you know, I really want this to be like what they said when they turn it off, everything's normal. And I, you know how like when the Lord speaks to you, when he does speak to your spirit, 
And again, I want to bring this out. This isn't a voice. Remember that talked about your conscience? He speaks to you in your conscience through impressions. It's not a voice. So sometimes you can interpret that or misinterpret it or just take some interpretation. But also sometimes he can like download something into you where he may have only said one word, but a whole bunch of stuff comes with it. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had that experience? And so that's what happened there. And he said to me, you're going to get a pacemaker. So at that point, I had to either be in denial, but no, I'm going to pray all night. I'm going to, you know, but no, he said, you're going to get a pacemaker. And in that, in that phrase, you're going to get a pacemaker, he told, what he, what he said was, there was love, there was no condemnation. It wasn't like, if you'd have believed me more, this wouldn't have happened. None of that. There was total grace and mercy. It was like he was saying, just trust me. It's going to be okay. Don't even ask why right now. Why doesn't matter. Just trust me. So I did. So that night, I, right then after I said, Lord, I don't, this all happened that fast. Lord, I don't want to get a pacemaker. Um, the Lord said, you're going to get a pacemaker. Then I just accept. I knew when they turned that off the next morning that it was going to go down to 30. And it did, down to 30 beats a minute. And they said, oh, you got to get a pacemaker. So we're at Greenview. And Stephanie and I feel like, they, so they tell me, we're going to move you over to the med center. And we got this really good doctor over here, and he's the best, and he's going to put this pacemaker in, this kind, the one I actually have right now. And uh, he's and uh, he's the best, and you got to go. Well, all of a sudden, I get this leading. No, tell him no. You're staying right here. Tell him they can do the surgery in this in this hospital. You're not moving. Be insistent about it. Stephanie got the same thing. So I said. I'm not I made a fuss about it. The doctor was mad. You, this guy's the best over here. Um, and he is one of the best. Well, so later that night, they're going to put the pacemaker in at that hospital. And I get down there. And I didn't even feel it was a different kind of pacemaker. It wasn't the one that implants here and has leads to go to your heart. It was one they put directly in your heart. They run this little unit that sticks inside your heart and paces your heart from the inside. And I wasn't as crazy about that idea, but I know I was led. So this is just real confusing. Steph and I were both led. The doctor had kind of chewed her out about it, especially later, chewed her out more. So I get down to the cath lab, and they're ready to start the procedure. And uh, before that, I met one of the... This happens, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but in a lot of operating situations or cath lab or things like that, they will have representatives from the company one of the people in there was a rep from the company that made the pacemaker. And so um, this rep, he's there going, saying stuff like, don't believe what you read on the Internet about this. And I'm thinking, well, he looked like a used car salesman. So this made me more nervous, you know. But I'm still led. You know, this is what, how we, I'm, I'm sure of it, right? And incidentally, when you really try to seek God and really listen, the leading will be definite. I had no question in my mind. Even then, I didn't understand it, but I had no question in my mind, stay in this hospital. So I go into the cath lab, they start the procedure, and they stop it. And they rush me upstairs, and they get it all done, and they tell me, um, there's a blood clot near where they put the temporary pacemaker in. Um, 
you're going, there's nothing, you are going to the med center and you're getting the other, we can't put this kind of pacemaker in, you're getting the other pacemaker and now the doctor has to do that tomorrow and he has to rearrange all his schedule from his, you know, his clinical office visits, but he's going to do it and you should have listened to us in the first place. And so, and he kind of chewed Stephanie out. It really upset her, you know, the doctor did. Well, Y'all should have listened in the first place. And at the end of that, I said to Stephanie, I said, I don't understand it, but we did the right thing. I don't know if it's, I don't know what, but for some reason we did the right thing. So later that night at like midnight, they moved me to the med center. And uh, I go in there, I get in, get settled in the next day. This doctor, who is the best in the area and even where he had come from somewhere up north like Cleveland Clinic or something like that and he was really good there uh, he's gonna put the pacemaker in and he says to us and this is when we caught it he talks about the. he said now we're gonna go in and put the pacemaker in that might take about 40 minutes and um, we're going to um, then vacuum out the blood clot that's in there and that should take much longer than that either so uh, the pacemaker goes in flawlessly and all that, and it, you know, and it took about 30 minutes. Um, he, but he says to us, this blood clot, he said, I wouldn't have even looked for it. In fact, I don't even know why the other doctors are in such a tizzy about it. It's not that big of a deal. He would have started that procedure, and that blood clot would have very likely caused a, what they call a pulmonary embolism, would have probably killed me. He still didn't think it was that big of a deal, but now he had to deal with it. He thought it would just be okay to ignore it. Well, so the surgery started, half an hour, the pacemaker's in, everything's flawless and fine with that. They go to get the blood clot out and they had all kinds of trouble with it and it was bigger and worse than they realized. Three hours, they had to call in a vascular surgeon and three hours later is when they were done with that it very likely would have killed me. So you see, even that other night in the other hospital when it looked like, uh, you know, you did the wrong thing, you ended up doing the thing they told you, well, we found out later that doctor said, I wouldn't have even looked for it. I don't even know what the big deal is. But it turned out it was a really big deal. And had we have not been led, I could very well could be dead. So it can be life and death, these things. And uh, like I said, I don't act like I've done perfectly. I'm just, I know about me and I can tell this story. Um, another one just, so I, th I find this one kind of funny, but uh, one day I was coming home from work and this was back when COVID was, um, you know, full, really bad, full swing last year where everybody was locked down and nobody was out of the house. And I was shopping for us as well as, you know, going to work. And uh, so I was going to, Coming back from Fountain Run, I was going to take that shortcut into Tompkinsville and just get there faster because I was going to go to to Walmart. But at that rate, I was going to get there 15 minutes before they opened. I was going to have to uh, wait in the parking lot anyway. Well, as I'm coming down the hill there from uh, like where a pace is, the Lord starts leading me. Don't take that way. Take the long way. And you know how you go through it. Am I hearing? Is that God? Is it not? Take the long way, take the long way, take the long way. And I'm kind of arguing with it. Well, just as I get closer to the shortcut, um, this person comes up and tails me kind of. They're kind of, uh, it's very uncomfortable. And I'm thinking, I don't want to take the long way. 
because they're going to be pushing me. I didn't realize they didn't have their turn signal on or anything. I don't want to take the long way. Uh, I want to get away from this guy. So I'm, I'm almost, but then at the last minute, I go, I got to obey God. I've really heard in my spirit, go the long way. So I start to go the long way. And to my surprise, he turns from behind me without his turn signal. And now he's not on my tail anymore. Now, this is the part that's funny. So I thought, oh, thank God. You know, I could have went that way. And if I'd had to hit my brakes, he might have hit me. And I don't know why. Thank you, God, for getting me away from this guy. And you know what the Lord spoke to my heart? He said, Oh, you misunderstood. I moved you out of his way. And I had to laugh. He said, it wasn't rude, but he said, you were in his way. Not everything's about you. And I just laughed, he said. And so I took the long way. <laughs> I moved you out of his way. I didn't move him out of your way. And so I took the long way. And by the time I got to Walmart, then I didn't have to sit there and wait in the parking lot. They were opening right as I got there, and I just went on in the store. So I found that one kind of humorous. Um, so... Uh, one great aspect that I want to go into point three here is that uh, waiting on God, waiting on the Lord, like we did the other night. It's very anointed, you know, the presence of God as we waited on him. That's an important aspect to hearing from God is sometimes you just got to take time. And a thought that I want to put in here, um, if we could turn to Acts 13, 1 to 3. Uh, Acts 13, 1 to 3. Uh, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to add this thought. Uh, don't ever let people push you into making a decision. I don't even care if it's professional people. Like that example of, of the doctors. We kind of had to fight the doctors to make that decision. But we were firm in our heart that God was leading us to do that. Don't let a lawyer push you. Don't let a bank. Uh, professionals are really good about this. Don't let anybody push you. Until you hear from God, you keep waiting on him. Brother Hagin was famous for that. They said he was like an old mule that would just sit in the middle of the road. And they'd be like, Brother Hagin, we got to make this decision. I don't have it yet. Till I have it, I'm not moving. Well, of course, we know his, his life had a lot, a lot of great and productive decisions that way. And there were a lot of times where... He, it was frustrating to people around him because he's like, I'm not moving till I got it. Uh, there was a prophecy I heard him give to someone personally, but I mean, this just would fit so many situations. He looked at a person and walked up and said, don't make a move until you know. And you will know because unto you I will show. And he was just exhorting that person, don't make a move till, till you're clear. See, we don't have to make rash decisions, but as we approach God attempting to be led by him, we need to know that once we're clear on it, that's what we'll do ahead of time. But you know what? He will be patient with us and he will work with us until we're clear. Um, sometimes that's the biggest attack in that area is, and the devil's good about this. It'll be the voice of the devil coming to you going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You better make a decision. You better hurry up. Better. He's trying to get you off balance. You know, that's how a lion attacks a herd of, of different animals that they attack. They charge the herd, and the whole herd goes one way. And the one that gets alone, the one that bolts the wrong way because it's spooked, that's the one they take down. They, they won't attack the whole herd, 
They'll go after that one weak one, that one that turned the wrong way because of haste. And that's what he's trying to get you to do is make a hasty decision. But God wants us to wait on him. Uh, and so sometimes when it comes to, the point I want to make here is, sometimes when it comes to making big decisions, uh, we're led day by day. The Lord's walking with us. We, you know, you don't have to spend 20 hours a day, but spend time every day with God, even if it's just a few minutes. But right on the other hand, when we come up making where we need to make a major life decision, it doesn't hurt to fast and pray and spend more time, extra time, seeking Him to be led. Um, here, I wanted to point this out, and this is a. Uh, Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3, it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, I think, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord. So what do you do when you're waiting on God? Minister to the Lord, worship Him. But notice this. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. Now, they waited on the Lord long enough. They weren't just singing for and worshiping for five minutes there. It says they ministered and fasted. In other words, they, they were worshiping God and, and in His presence long enough to at least miss one meal. You know? But it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, See, they heard from God. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto have I called them. And as they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. They ordained them and sent them out. So, see, they spent some time seeking God. Uh, I've heard of a number of people who've had a ministry, and early on in their ministry, they spent much time. They said, we were weeks in prayer. Um, there are a handful of churches. I follow a handful of major, you know, charismatic churches in the country that are growing and discipling, and I, I try to learn things from these churches. And several of them I found they do something in common that is pretty popular among, amongst a lot of charismatic churches, and that is they do, at the beginning of the year, 21 days of fasting and prayer. They start their give their first to God. Now, this isn't total fasting for 20 days, but they fast and pray for They give meet at the church every day. Another church I know of actually does it again in the fall. And what they do is they don't necessarily fast food at that time, but they step away from worldly entertainment and just every day, whoever can meet at the church and pray. And they have great results because they lay a prayer foundation and God gives them, when they're in his presence for a longer period of time, God seeks them more direct, you know, gives them more direct things about how to do in the church, how to change, and, and just to bring harvest in. And so, um, you know, this idea of prayer and fasting for longer periods of time, that's good to do. That's good to do in your personal life. If, if you know I have to make a major decision two months from now, wouldn't hurt to start spending an extra few hours here and there, or even a day of just waiting before the Lord. And what is fasting? Well, simply fasting is abstaining, but what it really is is God wants you to set aside your affection for those things and put your affection on Him. Uh, we can get into a monotony of life where 
Have you ever been like this when you're in a, a rut of I work and go home and I work and go home for a couple of weeks and the only thing you really look forward to is what's for dinner? Am I eating good? And your affection is on that food. Like the only, what's the, what's good, everything else is just this mundane over and over again, several days in a row. I go to work, I come home, I go to work, I come home. What, what are we eating good? And what God wants is he wants you to take that affection to whatever degree. You don't have to total fast, but maybe you do. He wants that, that affection. He, see, God, fasting doesn't move God per se, it moves you <laughs> to get into where God has that place of affection and attention and priority. That's what it's really about. And so sometimes to hear from God, you need to wait on the Lord. Let's look at this final scripture um, in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 to 31. So, um, and this part has to do with uh, in, in waiting on God and hearing from the Lord. Um, you know, to get into His presence so we can be led by His Spirit. Um, this is what the Scripture is about. So it's Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, King James again. It says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. It means, you, you know, uh, God, all however many billion people there are on this planet, could make a, all make a demand of God at once, and the lights wouldn't dim in heaven. He doesn't ever, God never grips the arms of his throne and goes, oh, there's so many people asking, I gotta, you know, none of that. He has limitless power. And he wants to, and it says here, uh, there's no searching of his understanding, nothing ever dawns God. So the answer to your problem, you don't approach him with a difficult problem and he'll go, let me think about that and get back to you. He doesn't have to do that, he already knows the answer. That's why you need to hear from him, he already knows. Um, and he gives power to the faint. So to them to have no mighty increase his strength, he wants to help you. He wants to impart some of that strength to you and direction. See, it talks about his understanding and his direction. So when we spend longer times of waiting on the Lord, that can help us with specific direction in our life, the things the Bible doesn't specifically tell us. And sometimes, look at this this way too. Sometimes you have more time than you think. Wait on God till he gives you the answer. God may be last minute, but he's never late. You know, God wasn't late when he spread. He was last minute when he opened the Red Sea, but he wasn't late. And so he gives power to the faint, that might increase his strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary, and they'll walk and not faint. That's where we want to be. But not just so we can make the right decisions, but we're, when we get that kind of impartation from the Lord, we're in his presence. He wants to fellowship with us. First Corinthians, I think, 1.9 says, I think it's 1.9, says that uh, God's faithful. You've been called unto his fellowship. Your first call, I don't care who you are, if you're called in the ministry, or everybody has a calling on their life to fellowship with Jesus. That's our first call. 
And in so doing, he wants to lead us, guide us, direct us in the specific things in life. He wants us to spend time waiting on him. Uh, sometimes he sometimes he takes a little while to tell you something because you ever have this with your little kids? Uh, the minute you give them what they want, they run away. Well, God wants you in his presence. So sometimes he'll wait for an hour or two just so you won't run away. Because that's his, he made you to fellowship with you. And we can be led in our spirits. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. God wants to lead us with his light and lead us into life and peace. And this is the most important thing we need to hear from God. So if you're out there and you don't know Jesus, uh, Romans 10, 8 to 10, and you don't know Jesus, you can know this Savior who wants to lead you and guide you and protect your life and save your life and lead you into life and peace and lead you to help others know Him and know life and peace. In, Rome, in the book of Romans here, it says that the word is nigh thee in thy mouth and on thy heart. That's the word of faith that we preach. That if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with your heart you believe unto righteousness, and with your mouth the confession is made unto salvation. That means that um, this isn't so much a magical prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer with, with anybody out there that wants to know Jesus. It's not the words specifically as much as it is the decision of your heart. God will give you the faith to believe. That you don't even have to believe it on your... People say, I just can't believe that. Yes, you can. God will give you the faith to believe that God raised him from the dead. And all you have to do is confess with your mouth, Jesus, you're my Lord. So let's pray that. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. I thank you that I, you've given me the faith and I know, I believe that God raised you from the dead for my sins and for my forgiveness. I now confess you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me today. Now, if you've done that, it's important that you get into a good Bible-based church. Let the Lord, like we talked about today, let Him lead you which, which one and where to be and that you grow in his word and grow where he plants you and help others to know Jesus as well.